All right. Hello and welcome to Grace, everyone, at all of our locations. We're really glad you've uh, made a choice to be here. You were intentional about it, and uh, unless someone kidnapped you or something, maybe then you weren't intentional, but we're glad you're here anyway. There's an old story about a stockbroker who got one wish from the Lord. God was going to grant him one thing, and at first, his wish seemed rather modest. He thought about it and said, Lord, I'd just like to see a newspaper dated one year from today. He knew that as a stockbroker with his insight and expertise that he would be able to make some investments and he could become a multi-millionaire because of those investments. The Lord granted his wish. And so he looked at the paper at the stock uh, section and he went to work positioning all of his stocks, moving some things around. And after he finished his work, he sat back with a smug smile on his face. And he thought, you know, now that my future is secure, I might as well just peruse the rest of this newspaper. And he looked at the sports and various other sections. But to his horror, when he got to the obituary column, there was his name and his picture in the obituary. John Tollotson said, he who provides for his life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. Now I believe that that old story and that quote kind of sum up today's lesson from Luke chapter 12. Jesus, in the opening of this chapter, is talking to multitudes of people, and some of his teachings are pretty hard to hear. I mean, he's challenging people to the core of their being. He's saying things like, look, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but after that, they can do no more. Rather, fear the one who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. I mean, that's a strong teaching. Be concerned more about what God thinks than about what people think. But in the midst of this intense teaching and dialogue, there's a guy in the crowd who maybe wasn't paying attention. Whatever he was doing, he, he comes up with this strange request of Jesus. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, in the Jewish culture, the oldest brother got two-thirds of the family inheritance. And if there were just two brothers involved, the youngest one would get one-third. And so it seems that this might be a younger brother here who's saying to Jesus, Look, Lord, go talk to my older brother and tell him, Look, let's split it. Tell him to split it with me. I think this guy is like we are sometimes. I think he has his mind made up about what he wants to hear the Lord say, and he's hoping that Jesus will agree with him. We do that whenever we go to the scriptures and we already have our minds made up. We already know sometimes how we're going to live, what our attitude or actions are going to be, and we're just hoping that we can find something in the Bible that agrees with what we already plan to do. But listen to what Jesus says to him in verse 14 and following. 
Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, and he's going to use this as kind of a teachable moment here. He turns back to the crowd, I take it, and he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus launches into a teaching about a proper perspective on possessions. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus, you know that's nothing unusual. In fact, of the 38 parables Jesus gives us in the Gospels, 16 of them deal directly with how to manage money and possessions. So, as we continue working our way through Luke's Gospel today, I, I want us to see what we can learn from this section where Jesus talks to us about putting possessions in perspective. And I just love this section right here, by the way. There's so many amazing lessons. I don't want you to miss next week because next week we talk about how Jesus teaches us what to do with our anxieties. And uh, I'll tell you, I don't know how it is for you, but most people I know, and I know this is sometimes true for me, I think that's one of the biggest struggles we have in life. So many things that make us fret and are fearful, and we worry about so many things, and boy, what a powerful lesson I think Jesus is going to give us next week. But look at what he says here today about possessions. He told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now get the picture. Here's a man who's already rich. He already has more than enough, but he's got a dilemma. What am I going to do with my extra? Don't you feel sorry for this guy? I mean, he's just trying to figure out how he can handle the excess. And he weighs his options and comes to this conclusion. He said... This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This man not only had enough, but he had extra. Now let me ask you, is that idea of extra a concept you're familiar with? So many people don't know what extra means. You see, for many people in America, our lifestyle is right here and our income is right here. And our income is always chasing our lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? The lifestyle is here and the income is here. And so whenever we get a raise or a bump in the salary, whenever we get a bonus, hey, we've got already got tons of ideas of how we can use that money because our income is always chasing our lifestyle, not the other way around. But th that's not true for this guy. He has extra, and so he decides to save it. Now, please note this, especially if you're kind of new to Scripture and maybe you don't, not familiar with what some of the teachings of the Bible are. The Bible teaches that saving some of what you earn is a really good idea. Hope you understand that. So that's not the problem here. 
saving some of what we earn is a great idea. That is important to do. USA Today said that if you brought together a cross-section at random of 100 Americans age 65 or older, 97 of, them, 97 of them could not write a check for $600. And 54 of them are still working out of necessity. It goes on to say that over 70% of Americans are essentially living paycheck to paycheck. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, a wise person saves for the future. So his saving is not the problem. The problem is the mindset, the attitude, the perspective he has on money. In fact, I would call this guy a successful failure. Mostly because of his mindset. So let's explore that a little bit. The successful failure's perspective on money. And I wonder if any of these would be true for us today. Perspective number one, I'm really the owner of everything I've got. You say, how do you know that's how he believed? Because he seems to be self-absorbed. Nine times in just a few little verses here, he says, I, me, and my. It's my possessions, my crops, my barns, my goods. He was completely self-absorbed. And he clearly had confusion over ownership. That's true of most people I know. By the way, I don't know how it was with those of you who have children, but when our children were really, really little, and they were playing with toys or something like that, and other little kids their, their age were around, I, I saw them... And I don't, I, I, it must have been their mother who taught them this, I'm telling you. But they would clutch that toy and go, mine, my toy, my blanket, and pull it away. Did your kids do that or is it only mine who are depraved, right? No, you don't have to teach them that, do you? Because that's a part of our broken, sinful human nature. And as we grow older, just the objects change. We say, my car, my house, my 401k, my career, and we really believe it's ours. We have confusion over ownership. Now, what are some clues that you might be a bit confused? Well, one might be if you have trouble lending or loaning things to other people. Your neighbors would never come and ask to borrow a tool because they know it would come with a 10-minute lecture about how they must return it on a certain date. Or you walk into the family room and your children have your remote control and they're watching something perhaps and when they see you enter the room, the children flee in fear in all directions because they know it's your remote and no one else can control that thing. Another indicator might be that you tend to hoard things you really don't need. That can be an indication of confusion about ownership. I've read that there are over 32,000 self-storage companies in the United States alone. There is more storage space today where we store all these things that we plan to use one day, but right now we're willing to pay just so they can have a place to live. They, we can't part with them because they're ours. And we know that one day 
we're going to do something with that stuff. Ecclesiastes 5 says, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. I'm saying to you today, friends, that no matter how you grew up or what you were taught, nothing really belongs to you. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're just managers. But many people have confusion, and this man obviously did. Another perspective this man had, perspective number two, is that money is always a blessing. If you're jotting some notes down, you might want to jot that down. Money is always a blessing, is what he thought. So, therefore, the more the better. Now, I've noticed that some people see money as either good or bad, depending on how much of it they have, right? Have you noticed this? I've heard some rather poor people who don't have a lot. I've heard them misquote scripture and say, well, you know what? I don't have much, but you know what the Bible says? Money's the root of all evil, so it doesn't matter. Good luck finding that in the Bible. You won't find it. Scripture does tell us that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But the Bible never says that possessions are evil. That is not the Christian worldview. And I want to be sure that's heard loud and clear. Because there's a lot of confusion out there over that. I hear it a lot of times. People think that somehow things are inherently evil. They're not. They're amoral. Depends on your attitude about them and how you use them. But on the other hand, the other extreme, I hear some really wealthy people say things like this. Yeah, I drive a $200,000 sports car. I live in a 15,000 square foot home. And you know what? You could too if you loved God like I do. If you had the kind of faith that yours truly has, you know what? You would be blessed like this as well. And so if you don't have this kind of level of things, then it must mean that you don't really love God. Again, I say, good luck finding that in the Bible. What you'll find in Scripture is that whether you're rich or poor has nothing to do with spiritual superiority. Nothing whatsoever. So what is the perspective on money? What about this view that money is always a blessing? Well, could we agree that money can be a blessing? I hope you'd agree with that. I hope you could nod your head and give a thumbs up. But you see, if you read Scripture carefully, Jesus and the other biblical writers, Jesus didn't write, but he spoke and it was written down. These sources tell us more about the warnings of material things than the blessings of them. Did you know that? Jesus said in this passage today, he said, watch out. Watch out. Be be careful. Be on your guard. Those are warnings. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So, while we should be thankful for God's provision, we should not naively assume that money is always going to be this awesome blessing. It may not be. 
I've seen families who were so singularly focused on God, but when God allowed prosperity, it ripped that family apart. And money became a bane rather than a blessing. I think a more biblical perspective of money would be that money is a test. This man said, I will store all my grain and my goods. Prosperity brought a test into this man's life. And if prosperity comes to you and you, like him, find yourself selfish and self-absorbed, guess what? You just failed the test. God's looking for people, I believe, I mean this sincerely, that he can honestly trust with prosperity. God's looking for people who will be rivers and not reservoirs, who will be channels and not clogs. I honestly think God wants to bless us, but there's so many inherent dangers in prosperity. God knows that well. Can you handle it? Can you steward it well? Can you be a conduit of blessing? See, he wants to bless you, but he doesn't want it to stop with you. He wants you to be a blessing to others. That's always God's agenda. Well, there's a third perspective, I think, that just jumps out here that this man had, and it's really common today, that money is the sure ticket, the sure ticket to personal security. Look at verse 19. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. I meet people all the time just like this guy. I mean, they could be twin brothers. If I just had enough money, I'd have no more worries. You know what? The problem with that attitude is it tends to take God out of the equation. If you look on down in verse 22 here, if your Bible is open there, you'll see where Jesus is talking to them about not worrying. And again, we're going to deal with that next weekend or what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear. And he uses two comparisons. He says, look at the lilies of the field and look at the birds of the air. Doesn't it follow, Jesus said, that if God takes care of them, he'll take care of you. But if we put our trust in money, it's an indication we're not so sure of that. What if there's another terrorist attack, Pastor? What if the economy collapses? What if I lose my job? What if my health breaks? If I could, if, if, if I could just save up this huge amount of money, if I could just have enough insurance that I wouldn't have another thing to worry about. Oh, I get, I get the rationale. But I want to ask you lovingly, tenderly, where is your trust, really? Proverbs 23, 5 says, cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I doubt if anybody would be willing to really pray this prayer from Proverbs 30, but sometimes I think we might be wise to give a little more heed to this prayer that Solomon prayed in Proverbs 30. God, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? You know what? 
that says we got to be careful that money, listen, that money doesn't take the place of God in our lives. And oh, it happens so often. But there's a fourth perspective here that we've just got to take a glance at. And this one is pretty common too. The more I have, the happier I'll be. The more I have, the happier I'll be. Let me ask you a question. How much would it take to make you content? Newsweek magazine did a survey, and they asked people this question. How much would it take in your income for you to be content? People in the $25,000 range, on average, said that if they had $54,000, that they would be content. In the survey that Newsweek did, Newsweek did. People that made around 100,000 said if I had, you know, about 192,000, if that was my salary, then I would really be content. And when you boiled it all down, they discovered in this study that it really didn't matter how much you made, that contentment was about twice, roughly, twice what you were currently making. Ecclesiastes 5 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? You see, we think if I could just get a little more, if I could just have this kind of house, this kind of car, this kind of clothes, oh, I'd be so content. But it eludes our grasp. More and more does not bring happiness. Now sometimes I'll hear some pretty, pretty well-off people make this statement. Have you ever heard this statement from somebody who's driving a fancy car and they're dressed in the latest designer clothes and it's obvious that they've been, their hair is perfectly coiffed like mine is, you know, just I spend hours on my hair. I hope you know that. I, it's really a big deal to me. I, <clears throat> I hope you know I'm kidding, by the way. Some of you, I almost saw some people faint when I said that. Um, I hear some wealthy people say things like this. You know, money won't make you happy. And you know what? Sometimes I'm a little cynical about that. I want to go, you know what? That's just the line that you wealthy people use so that we won't feel bad. Those of us who don't have as much. That's just the line that you use. And I want to push back a little bit when wealthy people say, no, money doesn't bring you happiness. It doesn't make you happy. I want to go, no, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Doesn't it really make you happy to buy, buy, drive a brand new car? Doesn't that make you happy? It does. It makes you happy. Don't you feel happy when you're on the beach in some exotic location on a really fancy trip? Doesn't that make you happy? I want to just push back and go, yes, money makes you happy. For a moment. For a moment. The problem is that that happiness is ephemeral. It quickly passes. And that's why scripture says, let your character be free from the money, love of money, being content with what you have. Well, this man had this perspective that was all skewed. 
He had confusion about ownership. He thought it was his. He thought that money is always a blessing. He thought he was his sure ticket to security. And he thought, the more I have, the happier I'll be. And all of those are false. But let's turn a big, big corner now and talk just briefly about God's perspective on money. And if you are not familiar with scripture, you're going to hear some things right now that while they may be a little shocking to you, I want to tell you they are like cool water to a dying person in a desert. These are life-giving principles that Jesus is teaching us here today. Look with me at verse 20. But God said to him, this is the rich guy who, the successful failure, he said, you fool. Only time, by the way, in scripture, God ever called anyone a fool. The word fool appears many times, like in the Proverbs especially, where people who habitually have certain behaviors are called foolish or fools. This is the only time, only time that God dubs someone a fool. Right here. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now let me be crystal clear, in case you didn't get it earlier. It is not wrong to be rich. Some of the most godly, used by God, men and women in the Bible, were incredibly wealthy and well off. That's not the problem. The problem is not the size of his bank account. The problem is that his heavenly portfolio had a balance of zero. It was all about him. He was aiming at the wrong target. Matt Emmons had the gold medal one in the 2004 rifle event in the Olympic Games. The 50-meter rifle event, he had it all sewed up. <laughs> All Matt Emmons had to do on the final shot in the Olympic rifle event, and he would take home a gold. All he had to do is just hit the target. I mean, he could have an incredibly low score and still win. He was so far ahead. But in an error that was called incredibly rare in this level of competition, Matt Emmons shot at the wrong target. He received a score of what it would have been a score of 8.1 if it had been at the right target. It was a good shot. But Matt Emmons fired at the wrong target. Standing in lane two, he shot at the target over in lane three. His score for a good shot at the wrong target? Zero. And instead of taking home the gold medal, Matt Emmons walked away in eighth place you know it doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're aiming at the wrong goal it doesn't matter how high you climb on the ladder if your ladder is leaning against the wrong wall so here's a question for you in light of eternity how should i handle my money i think that's the question that jesus would give every one of us today in light of eternity knowing what we know 
about what's going to unfold, about what's really important, about biblical priorities, how should I then handle my money? What should my perspective be? Oh, it could have played out so differently for this guy. If he had just seriously asked that question. In one of the commentaries that I read in preparation for this, William Barclay told about a young man who was in a conversation with a much wiser, older man. And here's how the conversation went. The young man said, I will learn my trade. And then, said the older man, I will set up in business. And then, said the older man, I'll make my fortune, answered the younger man. And then, uh, I I suppose that I shall grow old and, and retire and live on my money. And then, well, I, I suppose that someday I will die. And then came the last stabbing question. You know this guy's problem? He planned, but he didn't plan far enough. And I would ask you, what happens after you get that dream job? And then? What happens after you get that fabulous promotion and your salary escalates? And then? And once you really reach some of those wonderful goals that you've set, and then? And once you get that gold watch and that ring, and once you get that notoriety, and once you build that business, and once you've accomplished all these things, and then? See, don't fall into the same trap this guy did. He planned, but he didn't plan far enough. He failed to ask the question, and then? What happens then? John Wesley said, I value all things by the price they shall gain in eternity. And I think that's the perspective God wants all of us to have. How should I handle this money God's entrusted to me in light of eternity? Now, as we kind of move toward our close today, can I, can I just be candid with you? I, I don't know how long you've been a Jesus follower. If you're not a Jesus follower, maybe you could identify just as well with this attitude. When I read this, I sometimes am a little cynical. Can I, can I just be that honest with you? I think that many of us read this and we're kind of in a judgmental spirit toward this rich guy. I think he gets beaten up pretty bad, quite honestly. And we think, yeah, man, if I had that much, boy, I tell you, I'd have been really different than him. I want you to know right now, if I had all of that extra, I would definitely be a generous person. Or we'll say things like, I'll tell you right now, brother, if I won the lottery, I'm telling you, I'd give half of it to the church. If I won the lottery, I'd give half of it away. And we go through life saying things like that. But I want to remind you <clears throat> that if you live in the United States of America and you're on welfare, you're on government welfare, you are wealthier than 95% of the people in this world. Here's the deal. You're tested not on what somebody else has, but on what you have. You and I are tested. Listen, 
not on what we would do if we had more. We're tested on what we're doing right now, right now, with what we have right now. So where do we get off being judgmental toward this guy? Yeah, if I was in his shoes, I'll tell you right now, I'd, the question we need to ask is, what am I doing right now with what I've been given? You know, in some ways, the more you have, the more difficult it is to be generous. Think about it. If you make about $20,000 a year, you know, if you tithe on that, that would break down to roughly $40 a week in a tithe. That's what it would break down to. And that's kind of seems doable, even at $20,000 a year. It seems doable, because... 40 just doesn't seem like that much. But let's say that your income went up four times and you're now making 80,000 a year. Well, your tithe on that weekly would be roughly around $160. Ooh, suddenly that seems harder, doesn't it? Because you start thinking about all the things you could do with that. Wow, I could lease a Mercedes convertible with that. And suddenly you start thinking of all these things you could do. Things that would make you feel better. Things that would boost your pride and maybe even your self-esteem. Things that would make your friends envious. It really becomes more difficult to be truly generous the more you make. I think for some of you who are making $100,000, dollars $300,000 or more dollars a year, the question ought to be, is 10% really the standard I ought to be thinking about? Or should I kind of raise my standard of giving as I raise my standard of living? Huh? That's a question that those of us who are blessed ought to really ask. It's interesting to me in this story because... Someone actually did get all the stuff this guy had saved up. It did pass on to somebody else. But he didn't know who. And he didn't get any joy out of giving it away. But quite honestly, how much joy, how much trust, how much honor is there in passing something on when you can't use it anyway? That's why I think we ought to take seriously doing our giving while we're living. Then we're knowing where it's going, right? Down in verse 33, Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I don't think that's what this younger brother was wanting to hear, quite frankly. <laughs> I'm not sure it's what we want to hear either. But we've got to learn as Jesus followers to ask that question, in light of eternity, how should I view my possessions? Because I'm just a manager. So what does this mean as we wrap up? Some of us uh, may need to sell some things. I mean, that's what Jesus said here. Sell. Sell. Maybe sell that timeshare that you're just paying that 
maintenance fee on, not doing anybody a bit of good. You hardly ever go. I know you won't get anything for it. Sell it. It's like an albatross around your neck. Sell some of that stuff. Is it really that valuable to you? Get free. Lighten your load through this world. Live lightly. Don't have all this stuff holding you down, dragging you down. Be free to serve God. Don't make it your goal to retire and have 20, 30, 40 years of just pursuing your own pleasure. I talked to a wonderful woman in our congregation last week who has officially retired, but now she's devoting all this free time she has to teaching people English as a second language. And she's mentoring people and pouring into their lives and sharing the love of God. That's what it's about. Giving back time, resources, knowledge. Maybe it's time for you to decide that the best thing I can leave my kids is not a bunch of money, but an example of what it means to live life in light of eternity. And maybe for some of us here right now, it's time that we stop focusing so much on the American dream and started focusing on God's dream. And stop trying to raise our standard of living and rather raise our standard of giving. So here's the bottom line. Whoever you are, please hear this as I close. If God really needed your money, he'd take it. God doesn't need or want your money. Hear me. He wants what your money represents. God wants your heart. Father, thank you for the powerful words of Jesus. I don't know about anybody else, but they always challenge me to the very core. How to live in light of eternity. To not be the successful failure. To not be a rich fool who prepared for every contingency but the most important one. May we not be fools like that. Help us to be the kind of women and men who get it. Who understand that a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. And in that reality, let us live freely and generously as we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.